the church say amen. God bless you while you're still standing. Let's turn to the word of God in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, Old Testament. Amen. How many know that, uh, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God? All scripture. Everybody say all. That's Old Testament and New Testament. Amen. We'll begin with chapter 19, verse 1. We'll read through verse 12. I know it'll be a little bit lengthy. If uh, you can't stand, you may be seated. Hallelujah. Chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai. And had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. That's Mount Sinai. And Moses went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the... You notice this, this intermediary role here, this mediator? Remember that because I'll touch on it a little bit later on. Here's Moses talking to God, God talking to Moses, and Moses talking to the people, and he's a go-between. That's what the role of a mediator is, a go-between. And so he tells them, in verse 10, and the Lord said to Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, this shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Hmm, there's something about that third day. Come not at your wives. Amen. Focus on spiritual, not carnal things. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to, the, to, the, uh, to meet with God. And they stood 
at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Now I'm going to skip the, uh, the rest of it in verse 21 to 25 and jump to chapter 20, verse 1. And simply says, and God spake all these words, saying. My point is that after God brought Israel out of Egypt, he did not bring him into the promised land. The very first thing he did was bring the people to himself. Exodus 19, verse 4. So God just doesn't want to bring you out of Egypt and bring you out of sin to live the good life and do whatever you want to do. He wants you to get to know him. You're his people. He saved you. He delivered you. He gave you life. He gave you hope. He gave you a new destination. He gave you promises. He brought the people to himself. And when he brought the people to himself, God not only spoke to Moses, but everybody, two and a half million people, heard God's voice. So that what he spoke to Moses, it was verified in the ears of the people themselves. And chapter 20, verse 1 onward, is a copy or a recording of what God said in the Ten Commandments. So when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in the first time and spoke it out loud, all the people heard it as well. So that they would not only Look at a document that somebody else wrote, but something that they all heard for themselves. And God put a great emphasis upon the people hearing his voice. Hallelujah. Because he said, therefore, if ye will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the commandment and the covenants that you have given us. Whereby, Lord, we may know you better. And understand the foundation of our relationship with you and each other. Bless, O oh Lord, the service tonight. Multiply the words to our understanding. Let our hearts be open to it. And let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let the church say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now to verify and affirm from another place of what I said is true. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 33, and then verse 35 through 36, uh, Moses, when he gave uh, the, the law a second time, for as you know, uh, even after that time that, that the, all the people heard the voice of God for themselves, that while Moses was up on the mountain writing everything down, that the people made a golden calf. Now, if you read that through, you just say, what, how audacious, how ignorant, how rebellious, that after watching God give ten plagues to Egypt and disprove every one of the false idol gods in Egypt, 
and then bring him out through the Red Sea with the waters parting to the left and the right, wiping out the Egyptian army. And must all that, then God brings his people with, with, with provision for two and a half million plus, plus flocks and cattle and all that. And then they hear the voice of God for themselves. And then while Moses is up on a mount for 40 days, they go back to their old selves. And they build a golden calf with the help of Aaron, no less. And so you know the story. Moses comes down, breaks the two tablets, and, and he, uh, he, he's mad and angry with the people. So is God. God was ready to wipe them out and say, hey, I'm going to wipe them out, stand away, and I'm going to make a new country, a new nation out of you. And Moses says, oh, don't do it. And God, God accepted Moses' intermediary role, and he accepted his intercessory prayer. And God forgave Israel and went on. And so God gave him the law a second time. And Moses, now here the second time, later on, he's reminding Israel of what happened on that great day when God spoke to them directly. So in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verse 33, and Moses said, Did ever the people hear, uh, he's, he's, he's actually pointing out how special Israel is, how that at no time did a nation hear the voice of God like they did. Back they did when they did a Sinai. And so he says, did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and live? And talks about the mighty signs and wonders. At verse 35, unto thee it was shewed or showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Out of heaven he made thee to hear his voice that he might instruct thee. And upon earth he showed thee his great fire and thou heardest his words out of the midst of the fire. God spoke to an entire nation of one and a half to two and a half million people. But they all heard his voice. God spoke directly from heaven. And what he spoke in Exodus 20 and verse 1 and onward, which we shall see more detailedly in the next uh, Bible study, uh, we will see what God said and how all this unfolded. But tonight, what I want to do is I want to really focus uh, on an introduction. We want to introduce the Ten Commandments. Before we begin to analyze each of the commandments uh, piecemeal, we're going to look at the entirety of the Ten Commandments and look at their importance and uh, we are going to, uh, to assess that and, and analyze its purpose, why it was given, and, uh, and what, what, what is the relevance for uh, you and I today? Why is it important today in the 21st century to know the Ten Commandments and what it has to do with New Testament Christianity? Amen. Now, we know that God gave the uh, Ten Commandments about 3,500 years ago to Moses, and uh, uh, it is described as the most important document that was ever written, and I should say so. The influence of the Ten Commandments upon the nation of the world is absolutely immeasurable. For this reason, we will look at the entirety of the Ten Commandments as a whole before we look at them one by one. We will find that the Ten Commandments have influenced the world and the civil laws of nations more than any other document that has ever been devised. The Ten Commandment is unique in its way because it is the first document of its kind that has made man accountable to God and not to a human government. 
It's not that uh, the Ten Commandments uh, negated the responsibility of citizens to their government. Oh, no. For human government preceded the law. But it was the law that God gave to Moses that reminded man that their obedience to God is very important. And the laws that he enacts, they will have to give an account for. So it's not just giving an account to a king or to an ecclesiastical person like a high priest. They have to give an account to God when they die and stand before him in judgment. It's the first document of its kind that holds man accountable to God. In fact, one of our founding fathers and one of the framers of the U.S. Constitution, who happened to be the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, he was called the father of the U.S. Constitution, he said this, and I quote, We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles, moral principles of the Ten Commandments of God. See, any nation that's being formed or has been formed or will be formed that bases its institutions upon the moral principles of the Ten Commandments is going to be a society that is going to be blessed, a society that will grow, a society that will prosper, and God will make sure that it does. The Ten Commandments of God are based upon God's moral attributes. It's not based according to, per se, just the needs of man. It was based upon, amen, God designing a set of principles that are laid down by him based on his holy nature and his holy attributes and designed in such a way that if we follow those Ten Commandments, that we can have a great relationship with him and a great relationship with each other. Hallelujah. Now, the Ten Commandments are mentioned by different names Throughout the Bible, I don't want to address those a little bit. In Exodus 34, 28, the Ten Commandments, or ten words, as it literally says in Hebrews, ten words. Uh, in Hebrew, in Decalogue in Greek, deca meaning ten and log, amen, meaning, uh, uh, meaning word. And like dialogue, die is two, right? When we dialogue, it's two people speaking one to another. It's a back and forth, amen. Dialogue is two. Uh, and so uh, the Decalogue, ten words or ten commandments. And it says in the latter part of Exodus 34, 28, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, meaning the Ten Words or the words of the covenant. So the commandments or the Ten Words, the words, they all refer to the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 34, 28, it also mentions, as we already have said, the words of the covenant. And in Exodus 34, 27, in the previous verse, it's referred to as the words spoken by the Lord. Amen. And in Exodus 16, 34 and 25, 16, it's referred to as the testimony of God. In Deuteronomy 9, 16, it's referred to as the two tables of stone. And I will read that verse. And the Lord delivered unto me, Moses speaking, two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. You notice that? So what God spoke in Exodus 20, verse 1 on, in the Ten Commandments, is what God wrote with his own finger also in stone. So there was a double witness there. Not only what they heard, but also Moses had written down. Actually, what God wrote with his own finger down. 
in that tablet of stone. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But in the New Testament, the Ten Commandments are simply referred to as the commandments. Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 17 and 19, through 19. Amen. The commandments. And each of the commandments, uh, it's interesting, is quoted individually and separately in multiple places throughout the New Testament. So commandment one, different places throughout the Bible. New Testament. The commandment number two, many different places in the New Testament. Every one of the Ten Commandments are reiterated or quoted someplace in the New Testament several times. That's important. It's not just part of the Old Testament. It's part of the New Testament as well. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. We didn't know what those laws are. Now, there are three divisions of the law, what we call the law in the Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic covenant. First of all, there's the commandments, which is the moral law. Commandments, the moral law. Then there are the judgments, which is the judicial law to administer justice. It's what God enacted uh, with using the Ten Commandments as a basis uh, to handle uh, criminal, act, criminal activity, uh, grievances, or when somebody does something wrong, uh, you know, to, to, to deal with theft and with murder, with manslaughter, you name it. And the judicial law, that's judgments. And then there are the ordinances. It's the ceremonial laws enacted by God to regulate worship and religious life. Those are the three divisions of the law. Commandments, judgments, and ordinances. Now, I'll throw this in there for good measure. Uh, the commandment part, the moral law, has never changed, even from the Old Testament to the New. When we say the Old Testament law it has ceased, we're referring to the judgments and the ordinances. We don't act upon it. We don't carry out the Old Testament judgment and the Old Testament ordinances. Not in the old form. In fact, under grace, we have the... In other words, it, they're not minimized importance, mind you. They're still important with respect to judgment and ordinance, but not for us. Hallelujah. As far as doing them. For us, the important thing is to understand the principles that those ordinances and all those judgments laid down so that we can apply them to our lives and judge ourselves in preparation to meet God. Because, as you know, anybody violating these commandments, judgments, or ordinances were dealt with pretty severely under the Old Testament law. But under the New Testament, we're given that privilege to know and understand the, 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 uh, the framework of the judgments and ordinances, to understand the principles behind it, the principles behind it, that's really what's important, and apply them to our lives as we mature in Christ and we grow uh, in the knowledge of Him. Amen. So, why are the Ten Commandments important? Uh, why and how are they relevant for today? Well, it's important because the Ten Commandments, as I said, first of all, they are really the, it's the foundation that establishes the parameters of our relationship between God and us and our fellow man. It's the foundation. And the quality of our relationship with God and the quality of our life dwelling and living among each other in, in society and in the world has a lot to do with how well we fulfill the, the, the Ten Commandments. This is why in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40, we see an interesting uh, exchange between Jesus and a lawyer, meaning uh, a religious lawyer who was an expert at uh, Jewish law. 
And the lawyer asked a question in, in Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Law meaning the law of Moses and the Old Testament covenant. And all the prophetic teachings that came after Moses throughout the history of Israel. The prophets that were sent to admonish the people of God to make sure that they live right and avoid judgment. Now, the above scripture segment I just quoted to you from Matthew 22, 36 and 40, particularly the segment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, really comes straight out of the Old Testament. And I want to read you that segment, but in context to how it's related to the Old Testament people of, of Judaism uh, from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. Leviticus, as you know, is the book for the priesthood. It's uh, for, for the priests, and it, and it deals with many of the ordinances uh, of, of, uh, of, of ceremonial law, uh, religious law. But in any case, um, in, in Leviticus chapter 9, uh, listen to the context in which it was given. And again, just think about how God thinks about uh, our provisions and our quality of life, okay? How he cares about people in general. Listen to these words as he instructs his people. He says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly, or all of it, altogether, reap the corners of thy field. Neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And others, not all of it. Leave some of it. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape off thy vineyard. Don't get all of it. Why? Many reasons. Limit your, you know, your, your lust. Limit your, your wanting to get more and more and more. Your, 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 our want to get all of it. Hallelujah. He said, uh, thou shalt gather, not gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. In other words, pay up when it's due. Don't hold on to the money and say, well, I'll pay you tomorrow. No, you promised it today, pay him today. In other words, pay your bills on time. Well, that's the principle. Thank you, Jesus. And you shall, so, so uh, what does it say? Okay. Thou shalt not defraud thy uh, neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God. I am the Lord. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor. Nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. 
Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among the people, and neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, for thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt, here it comes, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Boy, that's a mouthful. If you could go through that and just contemplate the meaning of each of those uh, phrases. But see, again, it shows how much God cares about us. All of us. And these rules, these laws were there to protect each and every one of us. And to give us a happy life. And, and how we treat each other is important. God cares about how we treat you and each other in the church, especially in the household of faith. He cares about it. And he cares about it because he wants us to have the best life possible while we're here on earth. He does. He wants you to have the good things of life. But he wants you to do it the right way, not the way that you think you need to get it. There are some limits. There are some, there are some rules to live by. And with, with that, there's no sorrow and there's no regret. So the law that God provided in the covenant provides the framework for all of our relationships. That's why the Ten Commandments are important. And the first four commands, when we look, and we'll look at them again beginning next week in detail uh, with number one. We'll just focus on one commandment each week. Um, but the first four focus on our relationship with God. And the last six focus on our relationship with each other. Uh, two tablets of stone. Um, and uh, in any case, um, it, it's also really important to remember that these, these, these commands were, were not just handed down by Moses and by man. Again, we've got to remember, God spoke these with his own mouth, spirit. Hallelujah. He spoke them. It's not a man-made thing. It's a God thing. And uh, so God spoke it directly to the, uh, to the people uh, and not only to Moses. Um, and not only did God first write the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone, uh, but Moses had to write the same thing to make a written record. You know why that was? Because think about it. Those two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments that everybody heard was then written down and folded up and put into the Ark of the Covenant, God's testimony of law. Remember, three things in the Ark and, and under the mercy seat, the golden cup of manna, it was the uh, rod of Aaron that budded, and then the Ten Commandments, God's testimony of law, life, and provision. But the law was in that Ark. Well, who could go in there and see the tablets of stone? Nobody. It was hidden forever from man, from the public, ordinary child of God, a saint of God, an ordinary Israelite, because only the high priest could go into the holiest of holies once a year. But it was written in stone. And what was written in stone also was written down by Moses. You know what he was doing up on, on the mount for 40 days? He not only wrote down the details of all of the, the, the particulars of, of building the tabernacle, but God gave him the, the expanded version of the Ten Commandments. 
And when you read the other commandments, the 613 other things that, that come as a result of the Ten Commandments, the expanded version, Moses made a written record of what God told him. And then, of course, obviously, the, the Ten Commandments too. I mean, uh, th those Ten Commandments uh, were there that were read every year. I mean, the whole book of the law. Uh, in fact, later on, all of the law, the, the first five books were read uh, every year before the people. And so, so they had a written record of it. But if anybody ever doubted what those Ten Commandments were, and if somebody, you know, wanted to change them, all they had to do was take out the tablets of stone. And you couldn't change that. It's hard to fudge that, erase that, and, and put something else there. God etched it in stone. God wanted it. Even the ones that, that Moses broke, contrary to the will of God. Amen. And God had him hew two other tablets of stone. And, 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 and Moses had to write it all down. It was still etched in stone in the presence and anointing of God. But it was set in stone so man could not change it. And you could always compare it to the original. Hallelujah. And you had a written record of it as well, uh, preserved and protected by the Levitical priesthood. That was a great charge to them. See, God cares about us. God cares about us. Hallelujah. Now, amen. Now, looking at the purpose of the, of the Ten Commandments, um, or the and the purposes, because there's more than one. But one person, one purpose is that God uh, intended to use these Ten Commandments uh, as a means to reveal sin. To reveal sin. Uh, sin in our lives and, and the consequences of it. Uh, the, the, the Bible tells us very plainly. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, 19 and 20 with the New King James Version, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, it's not that the, God was lit, that, the, that the Bible was written and the commandments written that the world may become guilty, but that they may become aware of sin and feel the guilt that they're under. And that judgment that's coming because of it. To become aware of sin. So he says, all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. And those for by the law, it says, is the knowledge of sin. What's the purpose of the law? It's to reveal sin in our lives. Because when God reveals the Ten Commandments to you or somebody that doesn't know God, then he begins to analyze himself. Well, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. Who, if this is from God, I need to take stock of my life. I need to seek God. I need to seek who this God is. Because they also have the witness of their conscience. So the purpose of the law is great, first and foremost, is to reveal sin in our lives and to reveal the consequences. And this is important for the non-Christian. Uh, absolutely, as much as for the Christian himself, when I get to that in a moment. But if, it, but if he doesn't know that he has sinned, he'll, have, he'll see absolutely no need to repent. No need to seek God. Hallelujah. So we see now why uh, 
why the world seeks to do away with the Bible <laughs> and the concept of God. It's the devil's business to try to neutralize the Bible and churches and Christianity and get them out of public sphere. Why? It's the devil's strategy. Because, you know, as far as he's concerned, as far as the world is concerned, well, you know, if we can just shut them up, if we can just get rid of the Bible, then people won't know about sin. Even though their conscience tells them otherwise, they know there's somebody just by using deductive reasoning. If, if, if they just use their brain, which many people do, but they try to get rid of the Bible. Why? Because it reveals sin. And people don't want to be accountable to God. That's the bottom line. And the devil sure doesn't want them, us to be accountable to God. And so as far as the world's concerned, if we don't have the Ten Commandments, if we don't have the Bible, the Word of God, well, then we don't have sin. We're not accountable to anybody. And we don't need a Savior. And yet, all the while, they don't realize that they're walking in darkness and they're in great danger because when they draw their last breath and when their heart stops bleed, uh, uh, beating, they're going to stand before God. And then they're going to be without excuse. Without excuse. So the Ten Commandments play a very, very important uh, a role. And honestly, this is a great danger to the postmodern world. This generation that uh, is living today because they espouse this idea that, that there's no such thing as sin. And therefore, they don't feel the need to, to seek God, seek forgiveness, and, and seek salvation, uh, which is in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So that's, that's another purpose of the law. First of all, to reveal sin. And then another purpose is, even for Christians, that even though our sins are forgiven at new birth, that sin and knowing what that is, uh, so we need to know how to deal with it uh, in our own lives, day to day, so that we can grow in Christ. We need to grow, but we need to know what sin is because sin hinders our growth. Sin hinders our process of sanctification. And that's what growing is for, in grace is. It's sanctification. And the word sanctify is really the same word as holy. It's growing in holiness, growing in sanctification. Hallelujah. It's the sanctification process. And it is nothing less than God's word coming to us, uh, leading us and changing us into his image from glory to glory. Now, it's not salvation. I mean, salvation is the new birth, right? When you're born again, that's salvation. The water and the spirit, you repent of your sins, baptize in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. That's the proper response to Jesus' work on Calvary. And when you believe that message, the message of the gospel, well, then salvation is the evidential response and, and the result, rather, when you respond in faith. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. But sanctification is that, that, that way that God begins changing uh, this changing process in us where we are transferred, uh, where we are translated and we are uh, transformed in His image by the Word of God, by teaching the Word of God, and by the leading of the Spirit. It's the sanctification. In Ephesians 4, 11 through uh, 16, uh, as you know, uh, we're told about the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and te uh, pastors. Uh, the Bible tells us that all these ministers are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, building up of the body of Christ. 
till we come, notice come, it is all action verbs. It, it, it implies and expects you and I to continue growing, to keep on walking on this road of sanctification, this, this, this step-by-step process that God works on us through the teaching of the word, the preaching of the word, and the leading of his spirit. And so until we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to, again, is the destination, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, not being just like him, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. See, preaching the truth, speaking, and grow up in all things, grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, causes growth of the body for the edifying of self in love. Amen. Growth is expected, and that's what sanctification is all about. So knowing about sinfulness, it's important to both salvation and sanctification. We need the commandments not only to get saved, but to stay saved. We've got to recognize what sin is, so if we encounter it, if we fall to it, if we're tempted by it, we know what to do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How do you know, you know, uh, how can you, uh, you know, have be confident in your salvation if you don't know that you've dealt with sin? See, Christianity is a natural life. Either you grow or you die. You grow or you die. And it's the same thing with natural law. I mean, it's not enough for a baby to be born. Hmm? That baby better grow. That baby's got to grow physically, mentally, emotionally, or else... It's the same thing spiritually, and it's expected. So growth uh, is expected by God, and he designs sanctification and that process to continue uh, in you and I. So uh, unless you and I grow up in Christ, we're just going to shrivel up and die, and that's not the will of God for you. It's not the will of God for any of us. Can you say praise the Lord? So we can see that, that God's Ten Commandments are his tools to not only conceive us, but to deliver us as Christian babes and then promote normal, healthy growth to spiritual adulthood. Now, another purpose for the commandments is to show man that he can never be justified justified or perfected by the law. In fact, the law shows us that we ever come short of keeping it and ever come short of perfection. This is why Romans 3.20 says, For Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, all that law can do is shed light upon sin. But the law can't save you from it. <laughs> we need a Savior. And that's one of my other points. Hallelujah. Now, that's my next point. But Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. And that comes to the other purpose of the law. That we, the law shows us that we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. Just by knowing sin and just by knowing our faults and knowing how we fall short of God doesn't save us. We need 
a savior. And not only a savior, we need a mediator. Now, a savior, how to, like Jesus, can deliver us from the curse and the penalty of law. And that's why Galatians 3.13 tells us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Hallelujah. In other words, Jesus died on the cross, and all the curse and all the sin that, 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 that curse was placed upon him for your salvation and mine, amen, results in our redemption. Praise God. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Uh, and so besides uh, uh, pointing to the need of a Savior, it also points that man needs a mediator uh, and in order for you and I to approach God. And God appointed Moses to be a mediator between Israel and himself. But the Bible speaks about another mediator that will come. And Moses prophesied about this. Uh, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and 19, uh, how that Moses, he's just only the forerunner, he's only a type, but God promised another mediator, a prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter refers this to this in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 22. Listen to what Peter says. He says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that uh, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Now look at verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, that's back the ancient father, old father, that back in the beginning, quote, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you, will, you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. And that's who Peter is referring to. And he's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy 18.15. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, again, New King James Version, it says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Amen. The Old Testament mediator was Moses between God and his people. And in the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is our mediator between God and man. That God who was manifest in flesh, that dual nature that was resurrected from the dead to be your mediator and mine besides being our Savior. Amen. Now the purpose of the law, the Bible tells us, was to guide us as a schoolmaster or a guardian who would lead people to Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians 3.24 Wherefore, uh, wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. What's the purpose of the law? To point us to Jesus Christ. To point us, to make us understand that the law can't justify us. We need a Savior. We need a mediator. We need somebody that can deliver us from the consequences of the sins that law has revealed to us. Because we can't save ourselves. And so that's why the law was so important in the Old Testament. I mean, almost 1,500 years before Jesus came on the scene to provide that answer, which Moses said will come. 
in the face of the Messiah. Amen. So another purpose then of the law was to guide us as a schoolmaster to Jesus Christ. Now, the question is how we are to respond to these lessons on the Ten Commandments. And I want to deal with it just for a couple of minutes because we're going to get into detail with each one of the Ten Commandments. But when you hear something, when you hear a commandment that either you don't like or maybe the steps on your toes, number one, don't get defensive. <laughs> don't get defensive. Hallelujah. Turn your neighbor and say, don't get defensive. I look back and tell them, don't get mad. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, nobody likes their sins and their faults pointed out. But we got to remember it's God's talking. God is talking. He's morally pure. He's got no faults. And he's got every right to speak into your life and mine, especially if you claim him as your Savior. Hallelujah. And uh, so remember that when a commandment is revealing a weakness or, should we say, a sin in you, then just try to see it as an opportunity to eliminate something that is hindering your growth process in him. It's something that's hindering you. It's something you got to deal with. It's something you can't ignore. Now, if you get in the flesh, you know, your flesh would like to pamper that sin. Like to hold on. There's some things that it's easy for us to get rid of. Some things it's harder for us to get rid of. And there are things in the law that we're addressed that you know you may not have even thought of. That's part of the law, and you say, "Oh my." Well, don't get mad, but don't neglect it. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, "How shall we escape if we neglect such great a salvation?" You can't neglect your salvation and think you're going to get into heaven by neglect. We can't get anywhere with neglect. So when we, we, we say something that <laughs> is sensitive, don't get offended, don't get mad, pray through, go on a fast, hallelujah. And uh, second, just be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest. That, that's an important thing. Be sincere and be honest with God. If there's sin in your life, admit it. Confess it to the Lord, not to me. <laughs> I don't want to know. Hallelujah. I'm not your priest, and I don't believe in that. I mean, how, yeah, confess your faults one to another, and uh, that has to do with offenses. That if, if I offend you, you offend me, and you come and confess it to me. If I did something wrong, you not come and confess it to you. But we're not to confess our sins to any man but the Lord Jesus Christ. So... If the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> if, the, if the commandment hits you, confess, admit it. And, uh, and that's just, that's, look, that's the first step in, in anything that we face, right? Anything that's wrong in our life. The first step is to repent. First, you've got to admit it. You've got to admit there's a problem before you can do anything about it. And then, uh, you know, you, you've got to go to the Lord and ask for help. And... Uh, you got to combat that sin. Um, you, yeah, really, you can't grow in grace if you don't abandon sin. There's got to be an abandonment where you live for God, for righteousness, more than that pet little sin that you're holding on to. So, and if you're honest with God, I think we all know that he uh, will not only forgive you, but he'll also give you the strength to deal with whatever struggles you're having. 
He'll give you strength. Amen. To overcome. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, 1 John 1, 7 through 10 says it this way. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And when the word of God and commandments speak to you and, and it, you're not aligned with it, understand this shedding light on your sin. It's time to admit it. It's time to be humble. It's time to, to be sensitive and sincere and admit it and come to God and confess because we have a clear promise from God. You confess it, he'll forgive. God is merciful and loving and compassionate. And uh, so, so be honest. And then be patient. You know, I, some sins, I, I hate to say it this way, there, some people, when they come to God, there's something that they totally delivered and they don't have any problems with anything, giving up. But there's some sins with some people and it takes time to overcome. And I've seen that happen. I think you have too. I've seen a person who, who's taken almost a year one time to just to conquer cigarettes. They were so addicted, so hooked on it. They were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and there was those that, that were able to instantly give it up. But there's others that took time. And in my own personal experiences, I have found uh, in pastoring here in the last 20 or so years, assistant and then now 70, going on 18 years, I found that, that the degree of deliverance is proportional to the degree to which the heart of individuals turn to God. So all deliverances really are about our heart issues. And when somebody is not totally delivered yet, it's all about the heart. It's not fully turned to God yet. And, and yet it will take a process of time before their heart and their mind is agreed in total faith where, they, where God would totally deliver them from that, from that sin. And in the meantime, God continues to work with them and cover them with his blood. And, uh, and he helps them work through it and change. Change. And again, some things for some people are very hard. And we have to be patient with them just as you have to be patient with yourself. But that's not an excuse to neglect the truth. Please don't misunderstand. Uh, I'm not giving free license to anybody, neither does the work. But uh, we have to work on our heart. We need, this is something between us and God. And, uh, and you've got to have the faith and you've got to have the yieldedness. Do your part. Fast and pray. Be filled with it. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. It will help you to turn your heart. You know, you and I decide what we love. It's in, our, it's in our domain. Otherwise, God never would have commanded saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why would he command it if it was not in our domain or, or our strength to do that? So it's a choice. You love what you choose to love. Hallelujah. And so when you choose to love God more than anything else, if you choose to love God more than cigarettes, if you choose to love God and his ways more than any other sin, then you're going to be delivered. 
but your heart has to be fully turned to God in love by knowing Him better and better and better. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise Amen. Um, we need to remember that Jesus loves us and He's with us every day to make those changes. Second Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Hallelujah, Sister Melissa. Great message Sunday morning. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. So be patient because we're being changed step by step, not all at once. It's glory to glory, step by step. And stand with me now, if you would. Hallelujah. Finally, brethren. See, as Christians, we focus on Jesus and not the law. Hello? We focus on Jesus and not the law. Turn your, to your neighbor tell him, focus on Jesus and not the law. Amen. Hallelujah. See, we look to Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus Christ and seek to live a righteous and godly life as he lived a righteous and godly life. And by so doing, as believers, we not only keep the law, but we are fulfilling the law. You see that? If you focus on Jesus, not the law, you'll be following him and doing what he does, act like he does, speak like he does. You'll be fulfilling the law like he did. And that's what he's calling us to do. And the person who's following Jesus not only keeps the Ten Commandments, but he does a whole lot more. You know that grace demands more of you than the Ten Commandments? It sure does. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, If there's a man that even looks on a woman with lust, He's already committed adultery. We're held to a higher standard. That's why we walk the extra mile. In the Old Testament, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No, no, no. In the New Testament, by grace, if, if they ask you for your coat, give them your cloak also. We go the extra mile. Grace demands a whole lot more than the law. Legalism, I'm just going to do the minimum standard. Grace says, I'm going a whole lot beyond that. I'm just going to keep my eye on Jesus. I'm going to do more than the minimum. I'm going to do what Jesus did. And if I do what Jesus did, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm not destroying it. I'm not negating it. I'm going to go the extra mile. Hallelujah. I'm not looking at the things I'm not supposed to look at. Hallelujah. I'm just going to go the way that Jesus condensed the law. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Whatsoever you want people to do to you, the way you want them to treat you, treat them that way. Don't treat them the way they treat you, but treat them the way you want them to treat you. That's a tall order. 
The only way we can do that is to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, it's the truth anyhow. That's the Ten Commandments. That's just the foundation. That's just the introduction. But next week, we'll talk about worship. We'll talk about the one God who deserves all our worship. Because everything starts out from God. Every commandment begins with Him. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands? I just worship the Lord for a minute, would you? Let's sing a song.